Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Off the Record with Paul Hodes and Matt Robeson here on WKXLAM and FM, streaming live over the interwebs at nhtalkradio.com. We are a podcast on Google, Stitcher, and iTunes. So anywhere around the globe, if you are hunkered down in your bunker and looking for something really intelligent and smart to listen to, you can listen to Off the Record, where our shows are archived at nhtalkradio.com. Uh, Matt Robeson is a writer for thealternate.org, and he writes the blog amoreperfectunionforum.com. He's a smart guy who knows a lot about politics, and we're very pleased to welcome to our show today Dan Adcock. Dan has been the Director of Government Relations and Policy for the National Committee to Preserve Social Security and Medicare since 2011. He has been on the front lines in every battle in Congress involving those programs, working with members of Congress and their staffs like Matt and I used to be on these critically important programs. He has a long history uh, on Capitol Hill. Uh, having served as legislative director at other important organizations. Um, and he helped to write, promote, and enact uh, legislation in 2000 uh, to create the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program. A really knowledgeable man about issues affecting seniors. Dan, welcome to Off the Record. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Matt, too. I know that uh, Matt wanted to start right away with some provocative questions. Matt Robeson, take it away. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. I did want to start at kind of a high level here. I think we're all aware that while the coronavirus affects people of all demographics, all, all age groups, we all know that the group that's bearing the brunt of it is senior citizens. What are you hearing from your membership? What, what is the National Committee thinking about when it comes to what elected officials should be focusing on, should be doing to meet the greatest needs of seniors right now during this crisis? Well, I think a lot of it is that I think seniors get the fact, or most do, that they need to stay at home. And so fortunately, this legislation, the CARES Act, uh, that just was passed by Congress last week and signed into law by the president on Friday, um, would enable that by enhancing Medicare Medicare program's ability to do telehealth so that if you have a health issue but you, and you don't want to have to leave the home, you don't want to expose your doctor to a potential that you have coronavirus, that you can have a conversation with your doctor in much the same way we are right now uh, by teleconference. Um, obviously, that doesn't uh, preclude people from coming in to see a doctor when they when they need to, but this is just another, another way. But there's also, I think there's also some benefits. Uh, there's other pieces in the legislation that work on trying to enhance home and community-based long-term care. There's a bias in this country to try to put people into institutional settings like nursing homes, but most people would rather stay in their homes or communities. Uh, and so there's a couple of different programs 
the what is called the money that follows the, the person program that provides grants to states to uh, facilitate trying to either move people from institutional care to home and community-based care, putting them in home and community-based care in the first place, or, or another part of the bill that extends authority to provide uh, uh, spousal uh, impoverishment protection to people who are uh, have loved ones uh, spouse in a home and community-based uh, settings. Um, and, and so there's a range of other things that need to be done, too, uh, and probably what's going to be the fourth coronavirus uh, relief bill uh, that enable people to stay at their homes. But there's also the financial aspect of it, too, of the rebate payments uh, that are going to be provided to Social Security beneficiaries. So, Dan, let me let me just um, back up for a moment. Um, recently, uh, the, the um, lieutenant uh, governor of Texas, Dan Patrick, basically suggested that seniors are expendable in the face of economic turmoil. And we know that um, uh, the president uh, kind of picked up on, on, on that suggestion. Uh, as, uh, as Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick from the great state of Texas says, no one reached out to me and said, as a senior <laughs> citizen, are you willing to take the chance on your survival in exchange for keeping the America that America loves for its children and grandchildren? And that's the exchange I'm all in. I mean, I mean Governor Pat, Lieutenant Governor Patrick was sort of suggesting he was willing to give up his life to save the economy. And, um, and you know, we're in this uh, period of extreme social distancing up in the Northeast. East. Uh, it's clear that people are adhering to social distancing. Down the great state of Texas, I'm not so sure that people are trying to keep their <laughs> from them longhorns and each other. They seem to be more more intent on riding the rodeo. Um, and, and, and of course, our great president picked up on, on this um, in suggestions that, gee, we just ought to get the economy going. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we can get it going in some places. And and, and all of that. And of course, the Twitter sphere lit up with Trump's comments and uh, Lieutenant, Go Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick's comments pushing back against the idea that we're just going to let old people die uh, because uh, that's going to be necessary to save the economy. I'm wondering what you folks at the committee have heard, what, you, what your response to all that is, because it strikes me that it's part of a general bias, it seems, against senior citizens. Yeah, our members are pretty upset about it, understandably. I mean, you know, we've, uh, we've made some public statements uh, to say, and I think we were being charitable, that this was both an immoral and thoughtless uh, proposal by the lieutenant governor in, in Texas. And it doesn't make any, even if you look at this in purely economic terms, it doesn't make any sense economically either, because, you know, how is that going to help? How is having not taking care of seniors or letting them get infected, uh, how is that going to help the rest of the population, the economy? So, uh, but our but our members, uh, just looking at uh, uh, some comments from our Facebook page, and here's some of their reactions. Uh, one is, I don't care if Democrats put a kangaroo on the ballot. I'm going to vote straight blue. Uh, another person wrote, uh, from your mouth to God's ears, Heavenly Father, protect us uh, from these demons. Amen. And then another one said, uh, Texas, please fire him as soon as possible. Do we really want somebody like, do you really want someone like him representing you? And the list goes on. So, 
you can kind of get an idea of, of where our members are at with, with, with that suggestion. Yeah. Well, um, not, you know, I, I'm, I'm a Northeast kind of guy. I'm, uh, I, and, uh, the, the uh, the way they do things down in Texas, you know, is very different. <laughs> and clearly, the uh, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick has uh, has his own constituency. And maybe uh, maybe there ain't no old people in Texas. They're all, <laughs> you know, maybe maybe they're all they've all already died off or left. You know, but um, but I'm what I one of the things I've always been really grateful for, Dan, is that uh, your committee um, and Max Richmond and Barbara Canelli who. who have been great friends to me and to senior citizens um, are 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 keeping the your your eyes on the prize and 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 making sure that uh, you're doing what you need need to do to protect the senior citizens. And I'm now you know I'm I'm now in that category, so I'm du- I'm doubly grateful. Um, let's talk for a minute or two about some of the. Uh, a particular provisions of the CARES Act that was just passed, which may be of most importance. Um, can you talk about what has, what's, what if anything was, was done with Social Security? Uh, and then uh, we can talk about some of the specifics about uh, the Medicare and Medicaid services that are going to be particularly important. Sure. Well, I think the biggest thing uh, that, that uh, the bill offers to Social Security beneficiaries is, uh, along with all other or, or most other Americans under certain income limits, uh, that uh, they're going Social Security beneficiaries are going to be uh, 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 eligible for if they're individuals up to a twelve hundred dollar a month or hundred. I mean, a single one time twelve hundred dollar payment if for couples uh, a twenty four. Hundred dollar payment, and then if they had, for each additional child, uh, they they would receive uh, about five hundred. They would receive five hundred dollars, uh, and that's up to income levels of about two hundred thousand dollars for couples. Uh, and I, I think that it was somewhere upwards of uh, I can't remember right off the top of my head on the individuals. There are some income levels, uh, but that's what they receive. And there was a bit of controversy earlier in the week. The Treasury Department announced that for Social Security beneficiaries uh, who uh, do not have such low tax liabilities that they don't file an income tax return uh, that they would have to in order to get the payments. And we're, of course, talking about a very vulnerable population uh, that not, may not have the ability or, or, or the means, like they don't have access to the Internet. Uh, they just have no way to file uh, for income taxes, and luckily, uh, the Treasury Department reversed itself yesterday, or last actually last night. They announced that is if you're a Social Security beneficiary, you have to do absolutely nothing in order to get these re- rebates that uh, seniors, especially, are going to need, but all Americans are going to need to get, get them through these very thin times in the next few months. Right. Well, that la- that controversy lasted all of about uh, thirty six hours because the outcry, <laughs> yeah. the general outcry from the population, politicians, representatives, and and everybody, but whoever's whoever put that stupid thing out at the IRS and uh, President Trump, that you know that didn't last um, too long. But hopefully, some of the other provisions of the CARES Act will have some real impact. Um, uh, I'm, I'm thinking about Medicaid in in por- particular. Uh, I understand that for Medicare, correct me if I'm wrong, that uh, 
when a coronavirus vaccine is becomes available, for example, uh, Medicare beneficiaries under the CARES Act would pay nothing out of pocket uh, under Medicare Part B. And there are other provisions like that where some particular relief was provided in this bill for uh, senior citizens. What's been the, the, what are some of the provisions for Medicaid for uh, those people who are on Medicaid that are a particular help in the act? Well, they also would, you know, they would be able to be vaccinated without any kind of cost sharing. Um, and so, uh, <laughs> second. Uh, they would also have to, uh, 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 they would also get that for free, uh, and uh, the, they would have anything to pay anything out of pocket for contributions, uh, and also uh, they would not have to pay for anything uh, for any kind of treatment of the of the coronavirus. In addition to that, there's all increase in the aim to state uh, Medicaid programs uh, in order to get them through, you know, which may be a fairly rocky time for state budgets in order to 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 deal with this new increased workload that. Uh, of covering med Medicaid uh, patients who are suffering from the coronavirus. In the one minute or so that we, uh, I think, have left here, could you just look ahead a little bit for our listeners from the perspective of seniors? What's next on the agenda? What do uh, our elected leaders need to be focusing on in the next round of legislation that's going to be coming down the pike to help seniors through the crisis? Right. That's a that's a great uh, point, Matt. Uh, we're, we are. We already know that the, the House Democrats are, are assembling a fourth coronavirus relief bill, um, and we're going to be working with them on things that we think that should be added to it to help seniors. But, you know, uh, I think you know, sometimes seniors, people think of seniors and they think of seniors going on cruises and golfing, and certainly some seniors do that. But the reality like is, the is president. that most. most the reality is is that most seniors have incomes. Um, uh, uh, under or half of the seniors have incomes under twenty six thousand dollars a year, uh, and so I, they are, as I said previously, they are particularly vulnerable. So one of the things that did not make it into this last round of cor coronavirus relief is a proposal that was made by Senator Elizabeth Warren uh, that would have provided a two hundred dollar a month payment for the rest of this year uh, to Social Security beneficiaries, people who are on SSI. Uh, people are receiving uh, a veteran's uh, pension. Um, and so we're going to be working with Senator Warner uh, to try to make sure that that is in included in this next uh, relief legislation, as well as other enhancements to uh, Medicare and Medicaid to ensure uh, you know, that those programs uh, have the capacity and the bandwidth to take care of seniors. And one particular aspect that we've also been working on that we're troubled by is to make sure to try to improve the compensation uh, that home health care workers receive because they get generally their pay is fairly low uh, and we want to make sure that uh, we can employ enough of them for the huge demand that we're going to have to take care of people at home. Uh, so that those are some of the things we're going to be working on. This is Off the Record with Paul Hodes and Matt Robeson here on WKXL AM and FM, streamed live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com. We've been having a conversation with Dan Adcock, the Director of Government Relations and Policy for the National Committee to Preserve Social Security and Medicare, about some of the provisions in the CARES Act that 
affect seniors and some of what we can look forward to in the upcoming legislative battles to make sure that senior citizens are treated fairly and that Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security are preserved, protected, enhanced, and are there for those who need it. Dan, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Pat. We'll be back after this short word from the sponsors who keep this station on the air. Don't go away. Welcome back to Off the Record here on WKXLAM and FM, streaming live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com. We are a podcast on Google, Stitcher, and iTunes. My co-host, Matt Robeson, and I invite you to visit the archives at nhtalkradio.com for your binge listening pleasure. This is week 4,622 of the pandemic. We're all stuck inside. We might as well binge listen to Off the Record. Matt, it's been another wild week in politics and life here in the United States of America. Absolutely. Uh, Wild doesn't even begin to capture it. I mean, for those of us who are at home, which is should be almost all of us, if not all of us, except the essential workers who are out on the front lines of society now. Um, it's um, been a stay-at-home kind of kind of time. People are getting used to teaching their teaching their kids at home. We're uh, developing new ways of communicating. Uh, Zoom seems to be the de rigueur way that everybody is working these days. Uh, it's a very, very, very challenging time. Meanwhile, in the White House, uh, the president continues to push both misinformation and his uh, radical agenda. Um, The misinformation has potentially deadly consequences. He's been pushing uh, the use of a drug whose name I won't even try to pronounce, but it is very close to the name of uh, a chemical that people use as a swimming pool cleaner. Uh, And there are allegations that the Trump family has investments in the maker of this particular drug that he's pushing. Um, Meanwhile, the scientific community is aghast because insufficient testing has been done to see if the drug is uh, useful, let alone uh, not life-threatening. So there's a real potential danger in the way the president is handling or continues to handle or mishandle the pandemic. Uh, There have been occasions when he has been uh, giving briefings, pushing Dr. Fauci out of the way. Um, It has really been a terrifying experience to have Donald Trump as president during this pandemic. It's exactly the kind of leader you do not want. But meanwhile, while everybody is focused on the pandemic and what it means, uh, he has been relentlessly pushing his agenda. He has fired two inspector generals, um, uh, one of whom uh, was supposed to be uh, conducting oversight of the way in which the huge uh, relief packages that Congress passed uh, are are used. Um, so Trump continues to push this agenda of uh, my way, the highway, and I'm I'm the only guy who knows. Meanwhile, he's basically the administration has said gloves off the EPA. The EPA's 
uh, extreme and radical deregulatory agenda is going full force. He's shut the border. Uh, There are all kinds of things that are going on in the Trump uh, agenda. He is using the pandemic as a cover uh, to continue to push uh, a radical right-wing authoritarian agenda on the United States of America. And unfortunately, he's probably getting less pushback about it because we're all concerned about the pandemic. Meanwhile, on the political side, we've seen some very significant issues uh, and and issues and opportunities and uh, and events. The big event, Matt, we've got to talk about it first, is Bernie Sanders has ended his presidential campaign. What does it mean? And what happens now? And where do the Democrats go? And can the party unify? Well, you know, I think you and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago that I think Sanders was hopefully viewing this as an opportunity, an opportunity to sort of uh, exchange all of uh, the what he has accrued over the last 30 years of pursuing very consistently a set of beliefs and causes um, and turning that into real action and value for his supporters. So what it means on sort of a substantive front is that there is a there is an opportunity now. Uh, and you could see it in the statement that Joe Biden put out, which was, by the way, very eloquent, very human, uh, really a credit to him. Um, you can see in the statement that he put out upon Sanders uh, suspending his campaign that there is a real willingness to reach out and work together. And It's absolutely vital. We've talked on this show before about the critical importance, perhaps the most strategically important thing for Democrats being to heal any rift with Sanders supporters um, in order to ensure that they do not defect to third party candidates um, or to Donald Trump, uh, which was in no small part uh, a big factor in Trump's victory in 2016. That may have now been surpassed by some of the voting difficulties that we're likely to see in November, but that certainly remains of critical strategic importance. Whether it can happen or not remains uncertain. What it comes down to probably is how much oomph Bernie Sanders is going to put into campaigning for Joe Biden and the Democratic ticket and trying to exert his influence to prevent any rift. What do you think ordinary rank and file Democrats can do? Uh, Not the party leaders, not necessarily Joe Biden, although he sets the critical tone. But what can rank and file Democrats do to help the situation, to prevent the kind of controversy and disunity um, that we saw in 2016? Is it is it a situation where because of the pandemic and because of the overwhelming presence of Trump and what he's done, that we think there will be less of an issue that um, rank and file uh, rank and file Democrats can sit back in terms of working on party unity? Or 
is there a role for rank and file Democrats to play in outreach and uh, and and camaraderie with the Bernie supporters? It's hard to say. I think it would be certainly there is no harm, there is no downside to adopting the bumper sticker esque think globally, act locally mantra of trying to listen actively to some of the uh, angst that one will hear uh, online from Democrats who are disappointed in the outcome. And from what I've monitored, Sanders' exit has sort of created a, a psychological reaction, not only among his supporters, but also among people who had to go through this process with Kamala Harris, Amy Klobuchar, some of the other candidates who were in the race, it sort of reawakened these feelings of, look, we'll live with this, but um, we would have preferred things go another way. And, you know, I would say that one thing you and I have talked about recently was Tom Friedman in the New York Times had an excellent suggestion back when it looked like Sanders was going to win the nomination, that Sanders should really adopt a team of rivals approach. Uh, a, a unity ticket, name his cabinet right now, make sure that it reflected the full spectrum of the party. He followed up on that suggestion in the past week with a broader team of rivals proposal that includes not only Democrats from the Sanders progressive wing of the Democratic Party, but also Republicans. His point is that it's time for a national unity ticket that Joe Biden would lead in this moment of public health crisis. So I think back to your question, the number one thing that Democrats, rank and file Democrats can do is be open-minded. Try and support that kind of an approach that isn't absolutist about all of your own personal preferences and priorities. Try to accept a degree of compromise. Well, that is a tall order, if I've ever heard one. A degree of compromise, open-minded. Those are, those are words that are rarely used these days in the context of our political discussion. I mean, let alone whether, whether it's a political discussion about the differences um, between the right and the left or a political discussion about what goes on within uh, any party, but certainly within the Democratic Party, where... Uh, Bernie has enjoyed fervent support for a long time from a dedicated a core of followers, which who seemed to follow him from the time he began his presidential quest uh, right through the current time. One of his problems was that he wasn't able to expand beyond his base, uh, but. Talking about open-minded, um, you know, I mean, we, we, we all follow uh, to some degree what's going on on the great Googles, the internets, the webs in the sky. Um, there's, there's, it, there are, it, it's going to be, I think, a challenge, a, still a real challenge, even in the face of Donald Trump, for uh, a lot of the Bernie supporters to come on over the latest Statistics I've seen said that 15% of Bernie supporters uh, will uh, vote for Donald Trump instead of voting for the Democratic 
nominee. Now, uh, you're a better statistician than I am. I don't know how many millions of people uh, Bernie uh, has for overall support in the country, but if 15% of that population uh, votes for Donald Trump, that's no small challenge, even in the face of um, polls that are showing Biden ahead in Florida by some degree, a Quinnipiac poll uh, just recently uh, had him nationally uh, six to eight points ahead, all with large margins of error. But, uh, but the, the, the percentage of Bernie supporters who may defect is still a very significant issue. And how do you, as a, if I'm a rank and file voter, how do I talk to a Bernie supporter uh, and say, you've got to keep an open mind. You've got to be open hearted and open minded. We're, we've got to come together. We, we, get, we get what the movement is about and we understand, we, we feel your pain, but now it's time to come together for the good of the country. Uh, I, don't, I just don't know whether that is going to work the way folks wanted to. Uh, as, we, as you said at the top of this segment, I think a lot will have to do with how Bernie approaches things. He's got an awful lot of money in his uh, war chest. Uh, well, I have an analogy that I, I think will hit home for people. You know, people can possibly hear in the background right now, like many people, I'm at home. I'm recording from home. You may hear my kids running around in the background. And I think what a lot of people are experiencing in their lives right now is you are shut in with your family, with the people you ultimately love, but who are also the people who are most apt to drive you crazy the longer you're shut up in a house with them. And I think that's much like what the Democratic Party is experiencing. We're all in the same family together, and we also all have the greatest propensity to drive one another crazy. You know, my cousin, who's a brilliant film director, uh, posted something on social media. He suggested that uh, try playing a game with your spouse. It's called, why are you doing it that way? He said, what's great about that game is no one wins. <laughs> a lot of people are finding themselves in this position of noting things that your spouse, your child, your loved one, the other people in, in your household are doing and starting to nitpick and criticize and find the small differences. And you should really be doing this another way. Well, is there a better analogy for where we find ourselves in the Democratic Party? You know, we all agree that we want everyone to have free or affordable uh, and accessible health care coverage. So why are you doing it that way? That's, that's the real question. Again, you know, to, to, to try and I, I don't know if we'll be able to overcome all of that and prevent defection, but not to sound too much like Cory Booker's philosophy of radical love, which is actually quite appealing. But I think if we start from the standpoint of let's not play the why are you doing it that way game, let's start from the standpoint of, you know what, we're all in the same family and we're all in the same household here together and we're dealing with a coronavirus crisis and a national leadership crisis and a Trump national nightmare crisis. So let's try and get through it together. Folks, you've heard it here on Off the Record with Matt Robeson and Paul Hodes on WKXLAM and FM streaming live at nhtalkradio.com. We're a podcast on Google, Stitcher and iTunes. We've been talking about what the Bernie withdrawal means for the Democrats and the coming election. We're going to take a short break. And we'll be back to talk about what's going on with voting in America after this. Don't go away.
We're back. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes and Matt Robeson co-hosting on WKXL AM and FM, streamed live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com for your binge listening pleasure. We are a podcast on Google, Stitcher, and iTunes. You can reach us anywhere you're hunkered in your bunker. We're having an excellent conversation about what's going on in politics. Matt Robeson happens to be uh, the blogger who blogs at a moreperfectunionforum.com, a worthy read about a deeper dive into politics. He also writes for the alternate.org. And I get the notifications now coming across my screen. A really great site for uh, insightful, insightful analysis of what's going on in politics. Matt, I think we better talk about whether or not we're going to get to hold an election in November. We've got some issues around voting. Uh, Recently, Wisconsin held a primary. They held a primary in the midst of a pandemic on their appointed date at the appointed hour under the same old, same old conditions. Nothing changed. The governor of Wisconsin came late to the pandemic game and seemingly at the 11th hour said, wait a second, I think we better postpone our primary. We better allow people to do things differently. It went to the Wisconsin Supreme Court, who said no way. It went up to the feds. The feds said yes. Then the feds said no. And finally, the election was held seemingly without regard for the pandemic. We saw we saw in Milwaukee, for example, instead of 180 polling places, there were five. We have no idea what the final numbers are, but we saw uh, pictures of long, long, long lines of people standing six feet apart, wearing masks, basically taking their lives in their hands to exercise the right to vote. Uh, the fundamental The fundamental of our democracy is the right to vote and express one's one's position and feeling and opinion about who should be our elected representatives. Uh, And the scene in Wisconsin has sent chills up and down the spines of many observers of our democracy and the political scene. What happened in Wisconsin? What does it mean? Uh, What does it mean? What, what's going to what's going to happen if uh, we've still got a pandemic and Donald Trump is president um, and ultimately uh, the the top dog in deciding what's going to happen, at least from the federal standpoint, about elections? What what does this all mean? How do you make sense of this? Well, I think what we saw was a postcard from a dystopian apocalyptic future of November and possibly beyond if things go poorly of the kind of election that Donald Trump would like to see in America. You know, two weeks ago, we had Dr. Rachel Bittacoffer on our show, and her calling card in terms of analysis is looking at the effects of turnout on elections. And her main point in her modeling, uh, which she has updated over the last few weeks, is that the projected explosive turnout of the 2020 election would drive an all but certain, in her mind, democratic victory. Well, now that whole equation has been scrambled. It seems almost certain that if we conduct an election under the current set of public health circumstances, we're going to see a massively depressed turnout, even through 
uh, absentee mail-in voting. And we just don't know what that will do to scramble the voting equation. We just don't know whether that will mean that seniors who are the most vulnerable population but have the most reliable voting habit will continue to turn out to vote. And by the way, they tend to lean toward Republicans. They tend to lean toward Trump. Or will young voters who are relatively less threatened by the coronavirus, although not safe by any means, but who are in a relatively safer position, but also who don't have that same kind of voting propensity, will they disproportionately show up and they tend to favor Democrats? And so what we've seen is a very clear, very cynical calculation from Donald Trump and a surprising number of prominent Republicans who have been willing to come out and say the quiet part out loud that, yes, they, of course, don't like mail-in voting. They don't like absentee voting. They don't like any measures that expand voting access because it disadvantages Republicans. And I used to get into a lot of trouble with my Republican friends for saying a statement like that. But now the president has come right out and said it. You can Google it. So uh, that's, the, that's the name of the game right now. You're going to see um, an ongoing series of legal challenges across the states to prevent expanded voting access uh, from Republicans. And you're going to see Democrats trying to put on a full court press to uh, allow a reasonable, fair and free election to go forward. Well, so so on one hand, you know, um, the, there there is a there there is a group of folks who um, who kind of like that that notion, um, and that's lawyers who specialize in election law. I think there's going to be a full employment act for election law lawyers. So all you attorneys out there who are listening to this show, it's time to 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 uh, get your chops in order, get your election law chops in order, because there may be a call for troops really soon across the country. Right now, if I understand correctly, Matt, there are five states, five states only, which uh, are set up currently for full till mail-in voting, mail as in M-A-I-L. And that means that there are lots and lots of states who are not set up for a, situ a system of mail-in balloting. Um, all states, uh, as, I, as I understand, you can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, allow for absentee voting. Now, let me just uh, switch over to New Hampshire because the issue uh, is a lively issue here. Um, one of the candidates for governor has uh, Andy Valinsky, who's an executive counselor, uh, recently published uh, an op-ed and has been online saying that we need to take a look at uh, how we're going to vote. We need to immediately start planning for a mail-in election. Uh, and we need to make ch any changes necessary to do that. But of course, the guru of New Hampshire elections is Secretary of State Bill Gardner. And Bill has been the Secretary of State for a long, long, long time. In case you missed that, he's been the Secretary of State for as long as almost anybody has a memory of who was Secretary of State. He's the longest serving Secretary of State in the United States. And he went on WMUR-TV 
uh, was interviewed and made his position very clear. He said, there will be no voter in New Hampshire who, if we're in the position we're in right now, exactly the way we are now, if that's how we are in September or in November, no one will be denied the vote and no one will have to risk their health and safety by going to vote. And we don't need any legislation to do that. And he said, he repeated that a couple of times, that nobody has to fear for their health and safety and we don't need any legislation. And the reason he said was that there is a portion of the state's current absentee ballot law that says that people can vote absentee, quote, by reason of physical disability. So Gardner suggested that that provision, quote, by reason of physical disability, would allow for absentee voting, i.e. a mail-in ballot, by people who would not, under normal circumstances, be eligible for absentee voting. And what he looked at was he said, if doctors at the federal level say, don't go out because it's a risk to your health and you should protect your health and safety, and going out would be harmful, that would be the basis for it, he said. And then he expressed frustration with what he called a coordinated effort to loosen the state's voting requirement. He said, it's obviously an orchestrated campaign to accomplish something certain individuals have wanted to do for a long time, and they're trying to take advantage of an emergency situation when all they had to do was call and ask that question. Well, let me just unpack that for a moment. First of all, he's put an interesting twist on this. He said, if we're in the situation we are now, if we're in exactly the way we are now in September and November, well, first of all, who knows where, we'll go, where we're going to be, uh, whether the pandemic will have softened or not. Um, maybe we're only half as bad as we are now. What kind of out does that leave Secretary Gardner at that time? And then what's interesting, he said, if doctors at the federal level say don't go out, well, we've seen what happens with doctors at the federal level. Doctors at the federal level are not in charge. Who is he talking about? Is he talking about Dr. Fauci? Is he talking about other doctors who work for the government? Is he talking about the doctor in chief who now turns out to be Donald Trump? I mean, how... And, and, and who's to decide? Is this Gardner's own decision? And what are the factors? Um, this is, uh, and what's really interesting is because he's been, uh, as a Democrat, a, a proponent of tightening voting restrictions, including new voter ID laws, much to the frustration of Democrats, he clearly uh, brings his political bias in when he talks about the orchestrated campaign to accomplish something certain individuals have wanted to do. What certain individuals have wanted to do in New Hampshire is to prevent voter suppression and fight back against a coordinated Republican effort to suppress the vote. Now, the pandemic is the greatest voter suppression opportunity there is. I think there's a real problem uh, with uh, one man Bill Gardner being in charge of the kinds of decisions and factors that he's enumerated, which is why 
uh, folks like Andy Volinsky and others in, uh, think that um, a explicit change to legislation authorizing mail-in voting in times of emergency is the right way to go. Your thoughts, Matt Robeson? Well, I think what you've set up here is a, is a real dilemma. The Democrats are going to have to work their way through and quickly. And I'm working on that excuse me, is an article right now. Uh, so I'll put in an advanced plug for uh, a piece that I hope will be coming out on alternet.org uh, within the coming days. And so if you want to do a deep dive on just how much of a dilemma this is going to turn out to be, um, please uh, take a look there. But I think what you're really teeing up is the problem that there are 16 states that do not have no excuse absentee voting. You were pointing to Bill Gardner saying that there is a provision in New Hampshire law allowing absentee voting with an excuse. But as you pointed out, that requires a decision by one individual as secretary of state about what constitutes a valid excuse. Well, that is a massive concern. Now, I, I agree that it should not be left to his individual judgment. It also shouldn't be left to the vagaries of a lawsuit that is inevitably going to come after whatever decision he renders is made. So the problem for Democrats is how do they get more uniform, open access to absentee voting in the next seven months? And the pylon problem is that even if you do allow more mail-in voting, it's not an easy process. Uh, it's rife with uncertainties, with problems. You have to get started now. Everyone has to be working toward it, and Republicans have already said that they will actively be trying to throw sand in the gears in each state that uh, that is a contested state across the U.S. So this is going to be a massive challenge, and the question that I try to tackle in the article is, is this where Democrats should draw a firm line and say, we are not doing anything, no further legislation, unless we get this issue addressed right now? And it's not an easy question to answer. It seems like a layup given the importance of it, but it turns out to be fairly tricky. This is Off the Record with Matt Robeson and Paul Hodes on WKXLAM and FM, streamed live over the internet. We're a podcast on Google, Stitcher, and iTunes. Matt Robeson is the blogger at AmorePerfectUnionForum.com, and he writes for TheAlternet.org. He's my co-host here on Off the Record. It's been a very interesting discussion. We are going to be back after a short break to wrap up this week's edition of Off the Record. Don't go away. We're back. It's Off the Record with Matt Robeson and Paul Hodes on WKXLAM and FM, streaming live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com, where we are archived for your binge listening pleasure. We're a podcast on Google, Stitcher, and iTunes, and we have been dissecting the week that just was week 7,622 of the great pandemic, hunkered in our bunkers with kids and dogs in the background. We have been broadcasting in this new way on Zoom recording with the great help of our technical assistant, A.J. Kirstead at WKXL NH Talk Radio. We talked a little bit about Bernie, 
We talked about what Bernie's withdrawal means. We talked about voting and the challenges for Democrats. Matt, this is going to be an ongoing issue. We're going to have a lot to talk about in the coming weeks and months. No doubt. So, folks, thank you for listening. Thank you to all the sponsors who keep this great station on the air. Matt Robeson, Paul Hodes for NHTalkRadio.com. We'll be back next week with more Off the Record. See you then, folks.